Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic or on premise and on location or on premises. And that's right, we are on location or on premises here in Santa Clara for Cloud Field Day this week. So our topic is gonna be a controversial one. Web3, you've probably heard of it, something about blockchain and something about monetization and DeFi and NFTs and stuff like that and the web, well, it's bunk. Before we get into that though, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Jim Sprinsky. I'm a technology advocate for zero defect computing. You can find me at jimthewhyguy.com. Hi, I'm Brian Knudsen. I work for a cloud service provider doing kind of market intelligence type stuff. Um, and you can find me online at bknudsen on Twitter. Hi, I'm Craig Rogers. I'm a solutions architect with the Kamlin Group. And you can find me online at Craig Rogers MS. Which of you would like to take a stab at defining Web3? Because that's the hardest thing to do. Yep. Well, I think the first, the first thing to really keep in mind is, you know, defining which Web3 we're talking about. Because there is this concept of what we've gone through in this evolution of Web1, Web2, Web3, um, using the point .0 notations. And then I feel like this blockchain aspect of things is becoming a kind of a slightly different Web3 vision than, than what we were headed towards before. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily would call it an evolution as so much as maybe more of a revolution from what we've seen up to this point. But um, I don't know. I, I, I see it as something a little bit different than what I thought Web3 was ever going to be. So it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a curveball, I guess. It has opened us up to a lot of new technologies and interactions when you bring cryptocurrency into it, financial interactions. You know, you have, you have a lot of sites now that are, that are leveraging the blockchain to provide services. And that's even moving up into the enterprise space, you know, with blockchains that are like VGN, providing real world functionality for large players, you know, uh, PricewaterhouseCooper, BMW, there's a lot of big names using um, these blockchains, mainly around the supply and distribution of parts. Uh, but the, it's also coming across into gaming. You know, you have the likes of Polker there, you know, Unreal Engine, you can play games and, and uh, win or lose virtual currencies. So it, it, it has brought a whole new space, you know, as opposed to using a card of some variety or another for USD or, you know, pound sterling. And the way I've always understood it, I mean, I think I pretty well understand blockchain because the databases I work with offer the idea of having a non-immutable table, right? The idea that you insert the row and that's all you'll ever do, right? And the idea of chain of custody is quite intriguing to me as well, right? Because, you know, the first rule I've always told people is, as a DBA, don't ever delete anything because you might want to put it back sometime. So blockchain overcomes a lot of those, you know, just structural things. But to be honest, it's kind of like somebody invented a cure for cancer and it's being used uh, as an aphrodisiac. It just doesn't even make sense to me. It's become so perturbed beyond its, how would you put it, beneficial aspects yeah. and has just brought out so many negative things. 
Yeah, and I think part of the reason why it has been misused that way is you know the concept of decentralization is is key to blockchain technology, hmm. and a lot of people see the web and and you know in in it, the original design of the internet was to be decentralized and parts could be lopped off completely without hurting the overall whole, and I don't know if it's an intentional configuration of those things or if they're um, you know, just assuming that they're the same thing, but it's, it's, I think that people are looking at it as, oh, well, we need to go back to this decentralized thing and, and not be so dependent on, you know, these big data server farms or whatever. Um, I don't really see it that way myself, but this is what I've been reading as, as I hear what it is. And I don't, I don't really see where that's an advantage over what we have today. I, I think there's a lot of it reminds me of the early days of the internet where we didn't know what was possible. We didn't know how to commercialize it properly. We, we didn't know how to. We, we didn't know what services we wanted, and certainly ended up having. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it was all, it was all unknown. And in terms of decentralization, you know, it, it, if if a, an application or a workload has a requirement for CPU, compute, or RAM, that requirement has to be met somewhere. And more often than not, data centers use very efficient means of energy, you know, they're very pro-green energy, you know, carbon offsets, they, they, they're, right. they're right. generally quite good standing in terms of where they source their power, you know, and that'll not be the case for users at home. Well, I saw an interesting statistic, I think it just this week, that the entire cryptocurrency mining endeavors, right, are using the equivalent of the power output or power usage footprint of Finland. Wow. Okay. OK, now, Finland's not a huge country, but I got friends there, and it's a pretty modern country. You know, it's, it, you know. It's a country. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a country. OK, it's, it's a country. country. OK. <laughs> it's a country. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. But yeah. My, I guess my point is, that's mind-blowing. And what is it going to? It, you know, that, those, I have no problem with people using those resources. But more importantly, why aren't we using those same computing resources for, I don't know, doing protein folding and unfolding? Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to get trying to refocus us a little bit here, because the question is, what is Web3? And now we're, <laughs> we're off talking about cryptocurrency. But I think this is, this is actually a, a sign of what's going on with this thing. <laughs> yes. Because the truth is, nobody has really gotten a box around what Web3 right. is. And what Craig said is actually very true, I think, that we won't know what it is unless uh, until it's actually out there there's a lot of promise but what will it really be and we certainly didn't know what the internet would bring us we certainly didn't know what web 2.0 would bring us right i think if if we asked people so so generally speaking web 1 is considered to be sort of static publishing and 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 people reading you know visiting websites that are sort of static uh, Web 2.0 is is very much interactive and more user generated. So social media, effectively, you know, Facebook is sort of the the poster child for for Web 2.0 in that it's it's a website, it's an e-commerce platform, it's a a microblog. You know, you could call it a lot of different things, but essentially, it's user generated content that's very dynamic that everybody's participating in. And, and from my understanding, so I think it's important to note that uh, Tim Berners-Lee did have a Web 3.0 in, in mind, mm -hmm. but that's not what we're talking about. Yep. Web 3 is, uh, again, something related to connecting 
the blockchain to the web. And I've seen some conversations that have suggested a very technical Web3. In other words, uh, web, uh, basically a blockchain as a replacement for DNS and for <laughs> web servers and things like that. Uh, right. Maybe not a replacement for a web server, but sort of an integral part of a browsing experience. Whereas I've seen others talking about some of the things that I heard you guys mention as well, which is uh, this idea of micropayments and uh, somehow integrating uh, finance into the web as a way to have sort of peer-to-peer payment for services or something. And there's a lot, of, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Uh, you know, certainly one of the things that, that, that's important is what Jim was just bringing up in terms of the cost of the blockchain. Uh, I've heard uh, it compared to a large number of different countries over the years. Who knows you know, what it exactly is, but I think it's safe to say that um, it does use a lot of power. Um, and and it, because it's you know, proof, of, proof of work, work equals power, and that's how it goes. But that being said, there are other blockchains that are, for example, Chia is proof of space and Ethereum is moving to uh, proof of stake. And those may not take as much uh, power to run in the future. So let's set aside the mining and crypto you know, craziness aspect of it and really kind of focus on what exactly are we doing here with Web3 and is it bunk? So, so what does a blockchain have to do with the web anyway? Good question. Excellent question. Excellent. <laughs> we all agree it's an excellent question. <laughs> yeah, and I have yet to see anything that really explained to me how the blockchain really plays into it. Um, so the guy that founded Signal, so obviously a big guy in encryption and privacy and stuff like that, had a great rundown of his exploration of Web3 that, that I really, really enjoyed. And it's, it's on his blog if you want to go look for it. And the, the takeaway I had out of that really kind of came down to, you know, we centralized a lot, of, a lot of things in order to get where we are today because people don't want to run the servers. But moving back into the, what, what we are hearing as what Web3 is, again, I don't know that anyone's really built it or done anything with it yet at this point, um, is kind of putting, you know, the idea is that everybody can have their own little, their own little thing. And, you know, his, his conclusion kind of came to me as nobody wants to run their own server. That's why we centralized everything. And Web3 is kind of the promise of being able to take it back and, and fully owning your own content, not having to rely on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but yet people don't spin up their own blogs anymore because it's a lot of work and not everybody has the skills to be able to do that. Um, so again, you know, how blockchain plays into that, I, I don't know that I fully comprehend that um, other than now you are more responsible for more of the effort and that's probably not going to fly in the long run, in my opinion. I'll just mention that that was uh, Moxie Marlin Spike and we'll put the yes. link to that in the, in the show notes. Great, thank you. I, I think we've only seen snippets of, of capabilities, and it could be as simple but effective as putting up a QR code, scanning it, and it joins you to a Wi-Fi network. And the, the essence of Tim Berners, Tim Berners-Lee's Web3 was making information machine readable. And if anything, that's exactly what that is. You know, you're pointing a phone, and the phone can read that. It doesn't have to go on the internet. It, it just knows how to process that information and achieve a task. Uh, but we don't have large, complex solutions chaining together multiple tasks yet that are providing any real function or meeting 
any real need or necessity. But uh, but I, was, I think that's yet. It it'll come. But I think we've only scratched the surface. But it's interesting that you use scanning a QR code to start that because there's you know the big the big thing right now is don't scan QR codes because it's dangerous because you don't know what's Indeed. on the other side of that code. Indeed. And to me, that that alone is enough for us to resist moving into that future that you just laid out because do we feel like we can really ever put the proper controls and security around those things and make it work? And we all we've all been around long enough to know that security is the last thing to show up in a new technology. <sighs> because it ends up slowing things down rather than speeding it up. And we're all about speed on these new things. So I, I personally fear that aspect of things where so much does happen automated just by scanning a thing that you don't know what's on the other side till you scan it. There's an element of trust involved. You know, if you go around to a friend's house and he says, scan this, it'll get you on my Wi-Fi," you would trust that. If, yeah. if you're walking down the street and see a QR code, don't absolutely, do, it. do not scan. <laughs> but at the same time, I've I've, I know of situations where signs are up at a conference and it looks like a legit sign and somebody pastes something over top of that mm -hmm. and they go and you go and scan it. You don't know that, you, you know, know, there's there's no guarantee of who created that QR code or what it or, you know, right. man in the middle attacks and things like that that could occur on right. that too. Right. I mean, until those are all in, all those controls are properly in place, I don't know that I would trust any of them. It, it reminds me. For some reason, I'm a fan of old protest songs from the 1930s and 1940s. And there was this classic song from the 1930s in America called The Banks Are Made of Marble and There's a Guard at Every Door. And it basically is a really great song about how capitalism and really the banks, you know, the evil banks, if you will, which is ridiculous, locked the normal farmer, seaman, uh, you know, craftsman out of the ability to participate fully in the economy and get the benefits of that. And from my perspective, blockchain really offers that promise because it allows, you know, any of the three of us to have a secure transaction. And I don't need Zelly or I don't need JP Morgan Chase or whatever to intervene, right? Because why do, why do I need the bank in the first place? Trustworthiness. Is my money going to be there when I go take it out of the out of the bank, right? Well, what if you could guarantee that trustworthiness without the physical infrastructure? I get it. And that, that makes sense. And and to me that's that's really the value or the the thing that's exciting about cryptocurrency because exactly why are the banks made of marble? The banks were made of marble <laughs> so that people would walking by would look at it and say I can trust that I can put my money there. And that's right. why there's a guard at the door too. That guard's not really gonna protect your money, but the image of that guard and the image of that bank is what does. And you're right that uh, I think a lot of people, we, we've heard about the unbanked. We've seen a lot of efforts yes. by companies from you know PayPal to even American Express to try to bank the unbanked. And yet uh, a lot of people still aren't banked. And right. so that is actually an exciting aspect of this. And similarly, we've seen all throughout Web 2.0 ways to try to monetize internet stuff in a way that, that benefits and rewards content creators. And so far, that's not happening so much. In fact, I mean, one of the hallmarks of, of the early internet was uh, you know, uh, the end of, of music sales yeah. uh, and yeah. the end of movies and downloads and all this. Well. 
you know, so th so that is exciting, right? I think mm -hmm. that we can all agree that that's an exciting prospect, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely. I think you're touching on the thing that I can most get behind in that is, you know, that the freedom aspect of Web 1.0 has gone away with Web 2.0. There's reasons for that, and you know, the balance the balance needs to be cut there. But, um, you know, the other thing I would I would touch on is, you know, as we talk about the the, the centralization is there for trust in a lot of ways. Um, it does introduce risk on, you know, are they gonna be able to protect my money properly? Um, decentralization means you're on your own. You've gotta protect, you've gotta patch, you've gotta update, you've gotta ensure availability and whatnot. Um, so that, again, that puts more of the risk on me as an individual to deal with that. Um, but there's also a cost of entry. And when we start talking about those those people in, in countries that don't have the that have the money that can't right. afford to get in you know it takes what 100 bucks to open up a bank account and have a checking account right there are fees and and they're going to they're going to screw you somehow um, because they need a they need to buy the marble but in the end to buy a bitcoin or ethereum is way beyond most people i don't even know how to do right. it because i have invested the time to figure it out whereas getting into a bank account is actually really easy um, so you know, the promises, of, I love the promises of cryptocurrency and, and apologies for falling back into this trap, but again, blockchain being the central and, and cryptocurrency being the, the, the obvious example is, is, is not, you know, getting into it is not a simple thing. It, it costs money. And while I love the fact that it's kind of designed and promoted as something that will help third world countries and not having to rely on a central bank, if they can't get into it, they can't get into it. It doesn't matter. Right. And, and we've had microfinance opportunities in diverse populations in India, you know, mm -hmm. trying to bring Dalit women and other minorities up yep. by, by doing this. We did that all without cryptocurrency, yes. right? And it works. It still works today. So the good part of it is, right, that, yeah, we could potentially uplift even more people. But let's be honest, humans are greedy. And, you know, how many pizza money millionaires have suddenly arose because of, because of Bitcoin or whatever, whatever they might have done by using cryptocurrency? And I don't know, it just feels to me an awful lot like the tulip revolution uh, many, many hundreds of years ago in Europe. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of millionaires from Dogecoin alone. Yeah. Right. Off the back of a couple of tweets, yeah. you know? Literally hundreds. Yeah. People who spent a hundred bucks and, and, and did nothing and, but hold on to it long yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, you're right. Absolutely. Money comes mm. into it. Sure. Uh, but we're back. We have one background in cryptocurrency, but we're background to the fact that you alluded to there. Something has to process these functions. And if that's a blockchain or a decentralized, a decentralized application has to live on top of a, a blockchain. So to, unfortunately, Cryptocurrency is one thing, but a blockchain technology is completely separate. Absolutely. You can have a blockchain right. providing functionality that has nothing to do with currency. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's where I think we're going to see things evolve better. Actually, I read an interesting clip from an article in the New York Times recently about um, a crypto project. Again, crypto, right? He called that the uh, authors call. Enormity utility. It's called helium, and I hadn't heard I'm about this before. 
and de decentralized long-range wireless network. It uses cryptocurrency to reward people for sharing bandwidth on their Wi-Fi compatible devices, right? So, I mean, the interesting thing, like just looking at new uh, appliances for my kitchen, right? And they got those things with those giant cell phone type things in there. Yeah. They said if you implemented that in a reasonably sized suburb, of Chicago, you would essentially suck the power <laughs> grid dry to power <laughs> those things. But wait a minute, what if we could retask that? Kind of like almost using uh, cars, EVs, or battery electric vehicles to, hey, when you need to store the extra energy, we'll store it there. I mean, we've got the technology. Mm -hmm. Why not leverage it? Helium is a very interesting one there that you've touched on. Um, the well, premise of that is that you essentially buy an access point that has a bit of smarts. Right. You put it in the the uh, location with the most footfall that you can imagine, a train station or a bus station. Right. The more people that connect and use the Wi-Fi, the more you're rewarded with helium. And that's yeah. a way that rewards the person providing right. bandwidth with financial recompense through sure. the, the helium tokens. But it, 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 that's considered mining helium by giving away internet and getting as yeah. many people on as possible. Yeah. I mean, and you, you literally cannot order these. You they're they're just months and months and months. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's a black wow. market for them at <laughs> incredibly inflated prices. People are greedy, though. Yeah. I, By I the way, wanna, I don't want to rain on the parade, though. <laughs> but I should point out We're not that talking about Web3 anymore. I run Tech Field Day. <laughs> and at Networking and wireless and mobility field day. We've learned quite a lot about the technology behind this and and, and there's a couple of you know uh, Reality checks that I'd like to inject here number one. It's LoRaWAN, which is incompatible with all consumer devices That's what you're sharing. Mm. So you're basically sharing something useless Now it's not a hundred percent useless because it is used by some industrial automation and vehicle tracking and things like okay. that okay. But it's not something that is actually used uh, very widely, and it's not something that actually needed infrastructure um, <laughs> okay. because it already has the infrastructure it needs. If you're trying to track uh, containers in a container port, well, that container port puts up a couple of LoRaWAN and they're good to go. Like, they don't need to track it through your neighborhood. The other thing about Helium is, as you said, is that um, you're, you're earning based on sharing, but that's not actually where the blockchain is. <laughs> the blockchain is actually the, the conventional blockchain. And, but, but let's get back to it. I want to get back to one of the things that Craig brought up, which was interesting, is that uh, in addition to cryptocurrency, which we all know about, and NFTs, which we're hearing about, of course, there's also an aspect of a blockchain that is, you know, Ethereum is famous for, which is essentially programmability, the idea that you've built a distributed computer and you can actually run code in the Ethereum <laughs> network, and that's how NFTs work. You can run code on top of most blockchains. You know, Chia has a, a Lisp version that will run in the blockchain uh, as if it was a distributed computer, which is exciting. Uh, but there again, the question is, and I wanna wrap this discussion up here, We've, we've heard some pretty exciting and interesting things. And again, I'm not trying to cut out helium as being exciting and interesting. It is exciting and interesting. But uh, the question is, why are we doing this when, so think about it, we, we can already share bandwidth and earn money. It's called being an ISP. Yeah. You know, we can already have decentralized finance. In fact, more people use their telephone number as a form of inexpensive DeFi 
around the world. I know that's uh, not something we, we do in the first world for the most part, but uh, much of the rest of the world uh, uses phones as a bank and mm -hmm. they send money between phones. We can already do that. We can already uh, do uh, microfinance. We can already do a lot of things and we don't need the blockchain to do them. So my question is, Web3 is, is somehow, somehow it needs the blockchain. Can you think of some reason that it needs the blockchain as opposed to just, I don't know, renting a mainframe or having something running in AWS or using a phone or, you know, just doing something the regular way? I guess I see it as potentially. Um, I mean, if you can, you know, with, with the thought of running things on top of the blockchain, you know, theoretically, you throw some some code out there, and whoever happens to run it runs it. Um, you know, the the reliability of that. Like, if I'm building a reliable application, I mean, downtime in AWS is is already a concern. People have to architect around whether they do or not is another story. But you know, how do you architect around it when you know are there guarantees as to where it's going to run, when it's going to run, what the latency is going to be, who's going to pick it up and actually process it. Um, you know, from an enterprise app perspective, I would find that um, that's going to be a challenging, um, that's going to be a hard challenge to, to overcome, I guess. <laughs> the, 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 there's a couple of layers in play there. One is the, the, the website, the front end, that still needs to be hosted somewhere. Yeah. The, the, the back end processing is being provided by, say, the smart contracts that Stephen was alluding to. <laughs> um, and then you have... Okay commercial blockchains, you know, AWS of blockchain. You know, well, of course, um, BGN, you know, the, you have corporate entities running the blockchain service. Sure. So, it, you know, what is the difference between running servers and applications in the data center and a blockchain in multiple locations to, to provide that decentralized access aspect? It, it's, it's the same thing in that, in that extent. Bunk? It, the thing I, I, I think, that's interesting about this, it was just flashing in my head, and I don't mean to sound off color or anything, but it sounds to me like it's, I've got a friend that really is into robotics and, you know, creating human-like structures, right? And it's almost kind of like a joke of, well, you know, as soon as we get that first human-capable robot that we can really see, you know, one of the first questions is going to be, and I don't mean to make this blue, but can I have sex with it? You know, and it just seems to me like, okay, and you're shaking your head. But, I mean, <laughs> it was on the Big Bang Theory, okay, I'm just we'll going to post. But if you think about it, well, we can clean it up and post. But it's almost like that, where, what? That's what you want? I've given you this marvelous tool, and it could carry your mother from the bed to the shower and help her take a bath and you're thinking about something we will fix it in post uh something that you're thinking about something completely different that you shouldn't be thinking about and and i guess that's you know that would be my summary of all of this is that we've got this wonderful tool and i'm i i have to say i'm actually very bullish overall on the concept of blockchain I love the fact that you can have a distributed immutable database. I love the fact that you can have uh, cryptocurrencies that exist outside the global financial system to some extent. I love the fact that you can you know, run code. I love, love the idea of smart contracts. It's such a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is we're back to what you pointed out uh, with your Big Bang Theory <laughs> reference because truly it's, it's so, so, so disappointing 
that all of this technology is used to sell a uh, rip-off image of somebody else's photo, or to sell a song that doesn't belong to you, or to try to monetize something so that you can pull the rug out from under your investors and walk off with the money, mm -hmm. or to you know, try to... Straight up launder money. Yeah, straight up launder money. Exactly. That's so sad. And to me, I'm going to kind of wrap this up by saying, I think Web3 is bunk, not because there's anything wrong with the technology, but because there's something wrong with the people. Because again and again and again, what happened here is instead of being a new world reserve currency, it becomes a massive, you know, hedge fund that uh, people are trying to invest in, and then there's just you know all this you know front running going on that's actually keeping people from ever actually making any money because it's possible to do that in in the Ethereum chain. Look it up, and and it's just disappointing. It's just colossally disappointing. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So one word answer only. Oh wow. Web three is bunk or not bunk, Craig? Bunk for now. For now. Oh, that was those, those three words. Okay. Bunk. Bunkity bunk. Splunge. All right. I don't know. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us for the uh, on-premise IT roundtable podcast here on premises in uh, beautiful Santa Clara, California. Uh, where can we connect with you? And uh, is there something you're particularly proud of? I can connect with me uh, on my website, craigrogers.co.uk, uh, via Twitter on uh, at Craig Rogers MS, and I'm proud of everything I've done in IT. Okay, uh, so I'm Brian Knutson. You can find me on Twitter at bknutson. Uh, my website's knut.net. Um, I do have my own podcast called The Cloud Bytes that I do for work, um, and I can be found on LinkedIn as well. Where you know I'm of course going to promote any of the cool stuff that I've done there. So. And I'm Jim Saprinsky. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jim the Y Guy. And I'm also the co-host of the Beyond Tech Skills podcast. If you get a chance, drop in, have a listen. And as for me, I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. You can find me on Twitter at S Foskett and on most social media networks as Stephen Foskett because there really aren't a lot of Stephen Fosketts out there in the world. So uh, that's a good way to find me. So thank you very much for joining us for the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, you can find it in most podcast applications, so please do give us a rating or review and share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.